Hello, friends. Welcome back to For the Girls. We are getting back into the swing of things, and I could not feel any better. I'm so happy to be doing this. So we're going to be doing our preview for the Saudi GP and then also giving you guys our thoughts on the latest season of Drive to Survive. Before we talk about that, we launched our merch last week. We're so excited to see you guys are all loving it. We can't wait to see everyone wearing it and repping during race weekends like we will be as well. We are also doing a watch party this weekend in New York City for the Saudi GP, so cannot wait. Uh, It's a 1 p.m. race. It's a nice, rare time for us here. We can all hang out together. So details will be on Instagram later this week, but if you're a patron, you can sign up early at the link in our Patreon for the girls' paddock. With that, we'll jump right in. I'm Chessa. I'm Tiggy. And I'm Sarah. Jumping into our Saudi preview, this is a new race. The first Grand Prix here was only in 2021, and the location is interesting. The Corniche is the big coastal resort area in the historic city of Jeddah. The race is held at night under the floodlight, so in that sense, it's very similar to Bahrain. It's hot, desert conditions, but the race held at night. It's also definitely a contentious race in terms of geopolitics and Saudi's human rights record, so we will get into that shortly. For the circuit, the Jeddah Corniche circuit, it's 50 laps, 6.1 kilometers. It's a temporary street circuit and it does have a few more permanent sections, but this track also, it has the most corners on the calendar at 27 and it's also the second longest after Spa. Also has three DRS zones similar to Bahrain and like Sarah said, super, super fast circuit. It is definitely the fastest street circuit on the calendar. The average speed can be around 250 kilometers per hour, which that's faster than Silverstone and just second to the quote-unquote Temple of Speed, a.k.a. Monza. Uh, Hamilton holds the lap record here from 2021. And while there are some similarities to Bahrain in terms of you know temperature, 3 DRS zones, etc., it is fundamentally a very different track from Bahrain. It's much more of a challenge for teams to figure out their setups because in Bahrain, they had so much time in testing to get the lay of the land. So we're going to see what teams can bring here in more of a of, on a fresh slate, I guess you would say. And this track has been a bit controversial because of how dangerous it is. It's, it's so yeah. fast. Yeah, it's such a fast street circuit. And so since it's a street circuit, it's super narrow at portions. So there's no runoff area. There's no way to kind of avoid going straight into the wall if you have a bit of an off. So it's definitely scary. It requires a ton of precision to be going so fast and not end up in the wall. Last year's race, speaking of going off into the wall, um, there was definitely, before we talk about the actual race, there was some drama last year before it even started due to a missile strike at an oil depot really close to the track, just like 10 miles away. There was smoke from the explosion explosion literally blowing across the track. And this was the big race where the day before quality, the drivers basically holed up, had a four-hour meeting that went until 2 a.m. So there was a lot of discontent amongst the drivers and commentators were saying that it was basically the biggest show of driver discontent since the South African GP in 1982. Um, when the Grand Prix Drivers Association actually went on strike. So we'll get into some, a little bit more about this, but overall, it's a contentious race for sure. Last year's race, this was the race where um, Mick had his really big, scary crash during quali. His car basically split in half. And it was a really great example of how how far we've come in terms of car designs to absorb those kinds of impacts. And then during the race itself, we saw another crash uh, thanks to Latifi, safety car there and on the on the restart of that race basically it was a max and charles battle for p1 the entire race um 
Checo was in contention to win the race originally, but we think um, he had just had bad luck with the safety car, so couldn't pull that one out of the hat. But in the end, it was just such a fun race to watch. Neck-and-neck battle between those two, Verstappen and Leclerc, the entire time. Lots of overtakes, really taking advantage of DRS. And Max only ended up winning the race by half a second. And also, there were so many DNFs. There was only 13 cars that finished. Um, and then we also had two DNS, so Mick and Yuki never even started the race. So I think it was a spicy race to start the season, and at the time it was really fun to see this battle between Max and and Leclerc because it hinted at what could have been for him. <laughs> so just before we talk a- about the teams and what they're bringing to Saudi, what we can expect, we'll just call out some of the issues that have been um, mentioned due to F1 racing in Saudi. We already mentioned a little bit about this, but definitely been a lot of speculation about F1's presence in Saudi, given the country's pretty awful human rights record. Organizations like Amnesty International have even said that hosting big events like F1 is quote-unquote sports washing to distract from what's really going on. Earlier this week, there was even a letter written to F1 and the FIA from some members of the British Parliament in conjunction with the Bahrain Institute for Rights and Democracy. And the letter expresses these kind of sports washing concerns, calls for an independent inquiry into F1's activities in countries like Saudi, etc. So we'll see if anything comes of that. Last year, as we know, the king himself, Vettel, organized <laughs> a women's karting race at the circuit, which was amazing. Women have only been allowed to drive in Saudi since 2017, and they're still essentially only allowed to drive if a male guardian, husband, or father allows it. So just still really atrocious human rights for women and others in that country. But good for Vettel last year doing that. We need we need someone like him to keep that kind of stuff going. It's actually insane. Totally. And it's interesting with the new kind of political speech restrictions or ban drivers will say anything if there'll be a crackdown if they do, because it is kind of an important market to F1. So I think that's an area where kind of the FIA's intention with the driver's interests here. So we'll see. For teams, Red Bull. So Turns out that last race, when Max finished 40 seconds ahead of the pack, he wasn't even pushing. So maybe rest in peace this season. We'll see. Yeah, we're done. We don't even need to do the rest of the season. There's such funny uh, radio back and forth between Max and his engineer, Lambiasi. When you're so far ahead, the team doesn't want you just unnecessarily putting strain on your car with all these power unit restrictions. You don't want to be flat out pushing when you don't need to be. So Lambiasi was telling Max to slow down. He was telling him slower target lap times. Then Max was still going too fast and his engineer was getting annoyed with him and was like, just do it. I don't want to keep asking you. Yikes. One thing that was an interesting comment, Christian said that the Red Bull wind tunnel penalty from their cost cap, cost cap breach, so they had less wind tunnel time, really forced them to focus and get it together and maybe ended up helping them in the long run. So that's That's such a good example of like getting it together so fast, being really scrappy, like focusing on what matters. I feel like they're running like the car's obviously great, but like bottom to top, the whole organization, probably a lot of teams have a lot to learn from them in that sense. Totally. And the sense that, and now Mercedes has stuff to learn from them in the sense that they were dominant during the Vettel years, multiple consecutive drivers and constructors, world championships, and then totally fell off and just had years of trying to get back to the front and 
grinding and finally did it. So it is, it is also a big like recovery operation that Mercedes can learn from in that sense. And as we've discussed, Checo really needs to match Max ASAP if he doesn't want team orders and stuff to start immediately getting decided against him. Helmut Marco made an interesting comment praising Checo, saying that he managed to survive two full seasons uh, with Max without, quote, breaking as most drivers would. <laughs> Yikes. So, very funny. I mean, I feel that. I feel that. Checo's doing a great job. And another kind of interesting comment came from Max where he kind of praised Lewis in the British media. He said, uh, I don't think we have a difficult relationship at all. Well, interesting. Um, (laughs) Just that some people are closer. Of course, we had a big rivalry in 2021, but ultimately we do have a lot of respect for each other. He's definitely up there as one of the greatest drivers ever. I have no need or desire to deny that. Consistency is key in staying on top of his game. That is not so hard when you are so talented. It doesn't take a lot of effort to do that. The way he has managed his championships is very impressive. He has stood up when he needed to and made the difference. I feel like that might be the nicest thing he's ever said about Lewis. Maybe the nicest thing he's ever said about anybody, to be honest. Is <laughs> no one else sitting here thinking, being like, wow, his PR person's like really on top of it. His PR person didn't say that. I don't know. It feels too nice. It does feel nice, but it also feels accurate to me. Like, I don't think Max and Lewis necessarily have super bad blood against each other personally. I agree. We definitely saw kind of the worst of it in 2021 when they were neck and neck for a championship and they both had so much on the line. Like, Max is first, Lewis is record-breaking eighth. You know, I don't know. I I just don't – not that we're, like, in the room as a fly on the wall, but I don't get the sense that they, like, hate each other as people. I agree. So that's a, that's a very nice comment. Thank you, Max. All right, let's talk about Ferrari again. They had reliability issues again. It's the talk of the town after Charles's power unit DNF in Bahrain, which happened after he had already taken on several new components before the race. He took a new energy store and control electronics, and those were the parts that failed. And again, that's really tightly regulated, and they only have a certain amount that they can use for the season. Um, so big issue there. Ferrari says. Those parts aren't fixable, so a grid penalty and replacement for him is imminent. You're only allowed two energy stores and two control electronics for the whole season. He's now used two of each after the first race. So he's going to be taking grid penalty after grid penalty, I, I fear. Due to all of his frustration, Charles has basically just taken matters in his own hands over at the team. He met directly with the Ferrari CEO, Benedetto Vigna. Apparently, Vigna has way more control over the team than anyone really thought. And definitely Vasora is frustrated at his lack of power. And I guess Leclerc just decided to go right to the top, discuss the situation that's already pretty dire and figure out how they can salvage some of it um, before the season gets too far underway. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it goes to show that sometimes even a team principal's power can be limited. It doesn't fix everything. This was a hot take at the time, but I said that maybe replacing a Bonotto would actually make things worse at Ferrari. And I think a, a, t- a, t- a team principal can be kind of a figurehead in a sense when in reality there can be way more control issues behind the scenes or issues with conflict with the engineers or the strategy team. So maybe Bonotto was just kind of a sacrificial lamb when it's, it's just much bigger systemic problems. Yeah, I think we've talked about this. It's just it's not just like one pinpointed issue that a silver bullet can solve as we will talk about unless you're asking but <laughs> well that's yeah we talked about that too 
In happier news for the Ferrari extended family, for whoever watched the Oscars last night, Michelle Yeo won Best Actress at the Oscars, uh, becoming the first Asian actress to do so. And the way that's related to F1, because of course everything is, her partner is Jean Tott, who was the Ferrari team principal during the Schumacher glory days. Um, And he and Michelle potentially met at the Shanghai Grand Prix in 2004. How cool is that? So for Mercedes, we know Mercedes did not have a great race in Bahrain, Hamilton finishing P5, George P7, and just overall lacking the pace to challenge much at all. Uh, Total called it one of the worst weekends, sadly. Um, George also said in an interview that, quote, Red Bull has the championship sewn up, which is kind of a wild statement this early in the season. I don't know if it's like posturing or or what or if like we're all just thinking the same thing, but what a claim to make publicly. Um, and, And as we mentioned, if you have not seen it yet, Mercedes put out a letter to the fans this past week, essentially acknowledging that they're not where they want to be, that they're sorry, that they're ready for the challenge to, quote, change the course of the 2023 season. Um, Definitely give it a read, whether you're a fan or not. I think it's kind of interesting and not the usual, like, PR messages that get put out. So definitely mixed reactions to this from Mercedes fans and non-fans. I think some people thought it was quite defeatist and already throwing in the towel after only the first race, while others definitely appreciated the acknowledgement. I think I'm more in the latter camp as a fan. I think it was nice. It was a nice acknowledgement that was a bit more refreshing, like I said, than like the traditional lines that get thrown out of like, oh, we're working harder. Next race is a new race. Like it's actually admitting like, look, we've kind of messed up. We're going to move forward. So, yeah, I don't know. I think everybody expected them to come back out of the gate stronger and learn from their mistakes. And so I just think it was it was a good acknowledgement. But I'm curious yeah. your guys' thoughts as maybe less avid Mercedes fans. I thought it was I thought it was so interesting, especially quite, quite opportune timing, given some of the remarks that Lewis had made, basically saying they didn't listen to me. Like I, I told them not to stick with the 2022 concept. They did anyways. Like I know what a car needs. And I think that might've been, you know, the letters that helpful little bandaid to Lewis speaking out a little bit, but I think it's nice. We haven't seen anything like this before. And I, I think it definitely highlights that Mercedes is one of the teams that has one of the strongest relationships with their fans and really relies on that and like lets them, lets that push them forward. And I, I liked them acknowledging that through this letter. Yeah, it was, it's interesting. I, re- I really like the concept of it too. I like when teams kind of more directly communicate with fans, not always through the super PR gloss. So I I really liked that. And I think it's interesting showing potential internal politics or dynamics behind the scenes, which we've talked about a little bit of Lewis now pretty explicitly saying, I told them it was a bad idea. I, <laughs> I know how to have a race, what a race winning car needs. Um, and potentially even Toto maybe doesn't what we're saying about team principles, not always having that level of control. Like if the, if maybe engineers were insisting to Toto, no, 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 we really should stick with our concept or kind of who was responsible for that decision because I kind of feel like they should be fired. Whoever, whoever <laughs> were the people or the team who, who laid it down and said, no, we're not changing the car. We're staying with the same concept because it was clearly just a huge mistake. Yeah. So really interesting to see. And it, it was really sad from George. It's I feel like it's jarring when sports people admit defeat. And it I don't know if it's can almost be unprofessional in a sense, but 
he kind of has to just send a message to the team like, look, we don't even have a chance this season if you all don't get it together. Yeah, it's so interesting, the power dynamics internally, which obviously we'll never know, but can like kind of pick up on from the media with like Toto and Lewis saying similar things. And my mind was like, who at the team is overruling the team principal and the greatest driver that they've ever seen or ever like had on the team? <laughs> but then I've seen things that are like Lewis saying, you know, I know what a car needs. And then like 50 PhD like engineers who have spent their entire lives on aerodynamics being like, I know what a car needs, you know? So it's like, it's an interesting push and pull. Um, but anyway, as for what the specific issues are, Hamilton has said that they're lacking a lot of downforce and that they've got a, a lot of work to do to add more downforce to the car. And he said, as soon as we put more load on the front and the rear, we'll be able to pick up our pace. So we'll see. There is a big rumored upgrade coming in April. So apparently nothing major to look out for for Saudi or Australia, but we'll see how they adjust or improve these next couple races and, and what could be coming. So Alpine had some good and some bad last weekend, mostly bad, but a highlight was Gasly had his lap time deleted in quali for uh, track limits issues, but then he drove from P20 to P9, which Insane. is amazing. Hopefully he can really show his stuff this season. Then Ocon DNF'd, sadly, with his hilarious tragedy of penalty upon penalty <laughs> being stacked for not executing the previous penalty properly. <laughs> So hopefully a better weekend for them. Oddmar said that despite that, he's feeling confident in defending their fourth place constructor finish from last year, which is going to be more difficult now that Aston Martin is in the mix. So we'll see. Other teams for McLaren, the big question here for them is, can they, will they, how will they bounce back? Piastri DNF'd in his debut race last week with an electrical issue. Lando finished last of the cars that even finished the race after God knows how many pit stops um, last year. They're literally like, putting oil in his car during his so stops. <laughs> I'm amazed they just, they even finished the race. Good for them. Yeah, they, they needed something. Um, last year, Lando went from P15 in Bahrain to P7 in Saudi. Maybe there's a slight sliver of hope here. We'll see. For Alfa Romeo, Botas made an interesting comment about how he feels like he's able to be himself at Alfa Romeo and he doesn't think he would have been allowed to have a mullet at Mercedes. <laughs> so that's funny. Live your best life, King. Best news of the week. Wow. <laughs> We've talked about this before, though. Like, he is definitely living his best life at Alfa Romeo. He just seems relaxed. It seems like he's got like 20 pounds off his shoulders. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy for him. But yeah, we'll see. Alfa Romeo obviously didn't have the best season last year, so we've got high hopes. For Alfa Tauri, there's a lot of pressure on De Vries this weekend, even though he had a pretty solid debut in Bahrain. In an interview, Helmut Marco, of course, expressing his true thoughts, said he thinks Nick needs to step it up a gear. <laughs> it's interesting because I, I had personally predicted that uh, Nick would way outperform Yuki, and that was definitely not the case in Bahrain with Yuki outperforming in both quali and the race. So that's definitely a storyline to look out for. Franz Toast had some interviews last week, and he was asked why the Aston Martin looks closer to Red Bull than the Alpha Tauri when Alpha Tauri is 
the customer team and Aston Martin has a Mercedes engine. And his answer, which was hilarious, was that Aston Martin took a bunch of aerodynamic employees from Red Bull and basically built the same car and painted it green. <laughs> and he said Alpari doesn't have the money to do that. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. I love totally that. agree. I mean, it, it does seem very it's it's a non-controversial statement that Aston Martin did really just copy the Red Bull concept, which I mean Christian said was flattering. Should have done <laughs> yeah, that. Too. Honestly, yeah. I think that's totally fine. Like if I mean it does come down to a money thing, but if you can do it, like go off. Whatever. We love to see some competition. For Haas, K Mag was pleasantly surprised with the performance of the car and his performance at Bahrain. So excited to see him come back, extract what he can out of the car. This week at Saudi for Hulkenberg, he'll definitely be looking to have a smoother race after some car damage made Bahrain pretty tough for him. Um, But off the track, the the big news this week is that is about Gunther, of course, and his response to his drive to survive criticism of Mick. If you haven't seen it, he was definitely pretty blunt about Mick kind of needing to perform or getting kicked off the team, which obviously we saw how that played out. Um, and in true fashion, his response this week was like, I don't really care. I said what I said. I don't feel bad or ashamed about it. What I said was the <laughs> truth. Um, I just love the guy. He's so great. <laughs> that was one of the harder episodes to watch, but we will we will get into our thoughts. Last couple teams here. So Aston Martin, definitely the talk of the town continues to be. I think that's just going to continue um, until they kind of fall off or don't fall off. But People are definitely looking to see if Bahrain's podium finish was a fluke or if it's going to be a real trend this season. Apparently, Vettel reached out to congratulate Alonso after the podium, so I love that. That's good. Um, And then we posted this, and I guess this is old news at this point, but the video of Stroll's recovery is just truly next level. I really hope he's feeling better and every week just gets easier for him, but P6 with those injuries is, is wild, so cannot wait to see what he can do when he's physically at 100%. Um, and as we know, Alonso got his 99th podium last time in Bahrain. So big question is, will he snag that 100th in Saudi? We shall see. And then quickly for Williams, um, Alban got P10 at Bahrain. Logan got P12. So I think the team was pretty pleased overall with the car and with the performance. We'll see if they can keep that up, maybe get both drivers in the points. But Logan said he had an amazing weekend, loved every second of it. Um, and I think that was probably the best rookie debut that we saw um, at the start of the season. So good for Logan. Uh, year over year, the car is pretty good. The team is optimistic, although James Vowles, the new team principal, he said that they're open to sacrificing development of this year's car in order to focus on the future success of the car. So that will be interesting to see. Let's get into some hot takes and predictions. I'm going to go with Alonzo wins. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I kind of just, I hope, I feel like there was a lot of general kind of discontent after Bahrain in the sense of just people thinking, oh no, is this going to be a drag of a season? Granted, the first race is never that representative. So much can happen, but I think Alonzo winning would just, for the first time in 10 years, would be so fun and just bring a big underdog story and a lot of excitement to the season. So we... We will see. I would love to have someone else fought on the podium too, but I think Alonzo winning is wild enough that I'll just Yeah, you can't ask for that much. (laughs) For me, actually, I'm going to ask for a lot. I want to see a Haas, a Williams, and a McLaren all in the points. 
no idea how this would really happen without some major DNF. So throw that out there as well. And I'm going to say another Alonso podium as well. Wow, that is a tall order. That is a tall order. Um, I'm going to keep mine simple. I'm going to say Ferrari wins this race, whether it's Charles or Carlos. I don't care. That also feels like a tall order, Tiggy. Just saying. I'm going (laughs) to say the Ferrari looks really good on the straights. Saudi's a super fast track. I think it's like pretty well suited to their car. So there is a little bit more behind it than just like manifesting. But (laughs) uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. So a couple just quick things in the news before we jump to Drive to Survive Season 5. But we talked about the Mercedes letter to the fans. There are some crazy rumors out there in the wake of that. So apparently there are some rumors that Mercedes will spend the rest of the season prioritizing Aston Martin, the customer team, in hopes of getting a championship there. That seems super far flung. I do not believe that at all. I'm curious. That is like a conspiracy theory. More <laughs> yeah. Than also, Hamilton and Alonso have a feud. Like, imagine Mercedes not prioritizing its star driver and instead yeah. prioritizing Alonso. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> there are also some crazy rumors that Hamilton might go to Ferrari. That he's desperate enough for his eighth championship, and time is running out. So maybe it's not the craziest thing, but I do not see that either. Mm-hmm. Um. So anyway, food for thought, more conspiracy than rumors, but just so you guys are in the know for (laughs) what the people are talking about. Um, Then last quick piece of news. So apparently Andretti has started hiring. He's named a technical director for his hopeful team. Definitely stresses us out a little bit. Like maybe there are some more things going on and we're closer to confirmation of the new team than we thought, but I don't know getting people I love him he's just like I will proceed as if I have an F1 team in 2026 and you all better let me in (laughs) everyone take that energy into this week yeah it's so American forgiveness don't ask for permission (laughs) let's go you know what we love about our Tacova's cowboy boots you can wear them all year round and for literally any occasion of course you can wear them at the rodeo or at the ranch but since we're in New York City we've been getting creative I even wore mine with a polka dot dress and tights to Sarah's birthday party at a fun, trendy bar in New York City. Tacova's is Western to their core, and they believe in Western for all, handmaking their boots from the most premium leathers. And if you can't make it to a store, visit tacovas.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and point your toes west. And as a special bonus for you, Tacovas is throwing in a free trucker hat or ball cap worth $30 for all online orders over $100. Just use code F1 at checkout. Again, for a limited time, just enter code F1 at checkout to add a free logo hat to your order as a one-time gift from Tacovas. only at Tacovas.com. DTS season five. Let's start with just our high-level thoughts. How do we think it reflects how the season played out? What new things did we learn? What do we think, ladies? It was good, but not great. I get that they have just kind of an impossible order where they're trying to not over-dramatize and keep things true, appeal to both old and new fans, only do it in 10 episodes. So it's kind of impossible to do, but I just felt like in several episodes, they left out major plot lines. There were things that I thought would for sure be covered that just weren't. So, And then a, a kind of an overemphasis on certain things that I wasn't expecting. I think the biggest thing that stood out to me, and we'll get into this more, was just the lack of any sort of diversity. And I get, again, this is kind of a function of the sport. There's no female drivers. There's only one black driver. There's no non-white male team principals. But it's kind of just shocking 
when you actually see it play out in reality if you go through multiple episodes of like, wow, the only people who have talked are men. It was just absolutely Straight white men. And yeah, exactly. And I was just disappointed that they didn't make more of an effort of, for example, Hannah Schmidt, the Red Bull head strategist, had a huge role last season. Max has personally praised her. Her elbow is in like 15 camera shots of Christian on the pit wall. Bernie Collins, who we interviewed, was the head of strategy for Aston Martin last year. There were so many opportunities to include women that they just didn't. And even when they showed kind of wives, girlfriends, partners, it felt like they were props in a sense. Yeah, Sarah, overall, totally agree with all of that. I think for me, overly, overall enjoyable. Like I definitely have uh, notes, <laughs> as they say, um, and some criticism, but did I blow through all 10 episodes? Yes, absolutely. I, I think the uh, chronology was a bit strange, but I do think they did a better job um, I thought with not misleading viewers or over-dramatizing things in a way that kind of stretched the truth of anything major as reality TV often does. I definitely didn't feel like I got like an inside scoop on much, to be honest, but it was still entertaining nonetheless. But yeah, we will dive into kind of highlights, lowlights, and all of our problems with it. Um, yeah. But overall, still still entertaining. I echo everyone's sentiments. The only thing that I'll add is I love the extra focus on the team principles. I feel like we don't ever get to see that much dimension from them, you know, with F1 regular race coverage. So I loved it. Okay. Highlights. Along the same vein, to see Bonotto and Gunther bonding right off the bat. <laughs> interesting choice for episode number one. Do I hate it? No. It was so cool to see some of the day in the life stuff of all the principles, although small gripe, but sometimes it felt so obviously staged and very far from like what actual reality TV seems to me. Like when Gunther and his wife were laying by the pool, that just like, how do they logistically, they were like, go lay by the pool, talk about this. Like, we're just going to be in your face. Like it seemed a little bit strange, but um, overall I love <laughs> well, to see so Can we talk like about that. the fact that he lives in North Carolina, apparently where Gene Haas is based? I did not know that. <laughs> Dude, he... <laughs> Also, this talking about staged the like Chris the Christian camping glamping trip where he finds oh out God, about the yeah. DeVries sorry not DeVries Piastri drama like no way was he like hearing from his friend reading off or like his wife reading off the phone <laughs> that felt very staged. So to me. true. Um, yeah, highlights for me. Some amazing one-liners in there. You guys put your favorite quotes on Instagram and agree with all of those. I really loved the Alpine episode. Generally, I felt like we got to know Otmar a lot better, which made me have a bit more sympathy for him and all the Piastri drama, though I definitely recognize we only got one side of the story through that. And kind of in the context of Alpine and then AlphaTauri, obviously, seeing Gasly sort of as an older brother figure to Yuki was was very sweet and heartwarming. And I've never been like the biggest Gasly fan, but this Drive to Survive, as it does, has turned me into a big Gasly fan. Um <laughs> And Chessa, I think, as you said, Netflix definitely leaned in to the Gunther love. And I think some of his quotes, cough, cough, hugging the entire paddock were a big <laughs> highlight. Like, they just know that he's the star. He also knows it. And he definitely, he definitely knows, knows it. That's such a good that's such a good point. <laughs> yeah. I totally agree. Loved the Alpine episode and getting to see another side of Otmar. I think for me, kind of highlights, I... My highlights are always where we feel like we get to see something behind the scenes that we didn't 
see too much during the season. So it was interesting to me really seeing the Haas dynamics and how Gunther and K-Mag are close behind the scenes and were gossiping about who the second seat would be. And, And so I thought that was really interesting. And then also just getting to see that famous team principal FIA meeting about porpoising and some of that team principal drama was great. I love how team principals will just form these little coalitions to benefit themselves, (laughs) no matter who's on the side of an issue. Like when Toto's going off and then Zach Brown and Bonotto and Christian are all rolling their eyes, forming this little posse on the other side. (laughs) Like just so. And then the cost cap and like alliances have totally flipped. (laughs) Totally. And Zach Brown's like going off at Christian. Yeah. It's very, very entertaining. So funny. Um, so some lowlights or issues that we had, we, Sarah, you mentioned this, but where are the women? The stat that women got 1.5% of the runtime is pretty horrific. That's Obviously, embarrassing. That's like so embarrassing. Yeah. Obviously it's a male dominated sport. Yes. All male drivers and all male team principals, but you'd think that they would try a little harder to bring a female perspective in there. Hannah Schmidt through all the Red Bull storylines and glory and like back padding. Like where was she and where was, you know, Bernie Collins and where were all of these other females who are in the paddock in like real roles, you know, not just as a girlfriend or a wife, which is not, not, not a real role, but you know, it's like they they had people to choose from and they didn't. But otherwise for me, I think a lot felt repetitive, like Silverstone and Suzuka were shown so many times. And I know Sarah, you're probably going to disagree with me on this point, but it felt a little pandering to Max and Red Bull as if like in order to get Max back in the chair, like they kind of had a lot of say or sway in whatever contracts and permissions Netflix had this year were very selective and like coverage. And I don't think I say that just because I'm a Mercedes fan, maybe a little bit, but it just felt a little selectively chosen and edited it to warrant some sympathy for Christian, especially like, I think the coverage of Max was fine, but I don't know. The cost cap was strangely covered. Um, yeah, I don't know. It felt a little, little strange, As I said, the Mick episode was really tough to watch. And then I think just the big gaps, nothing really about Vettel's retirement, George's win, K-Mag's pull. Like, I know they can't fit everything in there, but like, those are really exciting storylines that I think people would have loved, loved to see. So those are my Totally. I was, I agree. I was confused by some of the editorial choices. Like Vettel's retirement was a huge storyline and I feel like it wasn't talked about at all in terms of his career and him as a driver. It was only talked about in terms of the impetus for Silly Season and the Piastri yeah. drama. So I was disappointed with that. And yeah, kind of selective editing still being a little bit of an issue. They focus so much on the Bahrain race. And at one point, they're kind of talking about Bahrain. And it was showing the Bahrain race. And then suddenly there's grass on the side of the track when <laughs> Bahrain's obviously in the desert. <laughs> so just, just not being clear with some of those transitions. And One gap that really stood out to me was we talked about this so much in Suzuka, how the big story was FIA safety and the tractor being on track and drivers making really kind of unprecedented statements, criticizing the FIA, but it got, it, it didn't get covered at all, but even tiny components of it got covered, like Gasly running into the, to the, um, signage and needing to pit because of it that got shown they didn't show anything that happened 30 seconds later that was like a massive issue in the season so again this might be harsh like I get that they only have very limited airtime here but I I was definitely 
disappointed with kind of some of those choices and also not showing kind of some of the team orders issues at Red Bull and Ferrari, or at least not showing the extent of it. Um, So I think those were kind of some of my issues. I agree with everything that you guys said. I think for me, one thing, they like definitely sensationalized Joe's crash over over and over again. And then I don't know if this is like an issue, but kind of a low light for me, the coverage by doing the coverage like team by team, it really messed with my head with like the whole chronology of the season. And it's just so different than how we view the season. Um, But in a sense, that's how you know that Drive to Survive is really aimed at like new or more casual fans. Since of course it's like centered more on the characters and less than less on like the actual sport at hand. That might be a hot take, but for me, it was just like, it messed me up a little bit. So favorite episodes, kind of already said mine, but I think Pardon My French was my favorite. And then Alpha Male as well. Um, Otmar rehearsing French in his car, like, bonjour, <laughs> je m'appelle Otmar. <laughs> it was probably like the highlight of the entire season for me, but overall made me a bit more of an Alpine fan. And then the Alpha Male episode, just seeing Gasly kind of, with him and and Yuki and that relationship just very quirky but heartwarming and it just felt very real to me and not like PR focused or whatever so I really loved those two and to Sarah's point like highlights being where you get more of like an inside scoop on things I felt like both of those episodes I learned something new that I didn't know before so definitely those two Totally. I 100% agree with Pardon My French. That was my favorite episode. (laughs) I feel like I was really harsh on Altmar last year during Silly Season saying, oh my gosh, how can you be forcing a driver to drive for you who doesn't want to? And getting to know him as as a character more, that was just adorable how like worried he was about (laughs) switching teams and working for a French team. And he just seemed like a really, again, totally can be edited and everything, but just seemed like a really nice guy. And I kind of came away from that episode being like, oh my God, Oscar, how did you do him this dirty? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Also, I really liked like father, like son, the Mick Haas Mm. episode. As you all know, I'm a huge Mick fan. So this was sad to watch, kind of made me less of a Gunther fan, but I liked that it showed some behind the scenes. Mick's mom got featured as one of kind of the only women to, women to have a role. And it, it did give kind of a good perspective on just how expensive Mick's crashes were. <sighs> the role of Gene Haas and all this is such a meme of Gunther calling Gene. But when you have limited money, it really is just such a big, such a big thing. And and it it goes to show how much Mick's fate felt kind of predetermined when I think that was at least a new thing to learn for me. I feel like last year we we're still talking into August, into the fall, like, oh, if Mick does well this weekend, can he keep a seat when I feel like it really shows from the very start, Gunther was just over it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I have I liked the part of my French one as well. I think seeing Otmar like spend hours, whatever, ironing his shirt and then asking for a, <laughs> a fancy coffee, a quote, skinny cappuccino with cinnamon was great. <laughs> um, for my favorite quote in scene, I the 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 porpoising principal team meeting was reality TV gold. Like Toto didn't care that he was like no one was on his side. He was sitting there with his legs crossed, being like, "I don't care that the cameras are here." Like he was made for this. I that was the best access I thought in terms of like Netflix so actually in you know a real meeting. Yeah. So that was pretty cool that they had the cameras in there for that. I think one of my favorite ones was when K Mag kind of whispers to or says something the cameras are kind of far away to 
um, Gunther about hiring Danny Rick. And Gunther's like, what? He wants like over $10 million. (laughs) So that was interesting because maybe, who knows, maybe Danny could have had a seat if he was willing to take more of a salary cut and he wasn't. Or maybe Gunther was just making assumptions and Danny would have taken a salary cut. That was interesting. Also, when Alonso goes – in Formula One, there are heroes and anti-heroes and just smiles at the camera. That was he knows the bit. I just love it. He does not care. It made me think of the Taylor Swift anti-hero song. Um, and then I guess I have a lot of favorites, but another one that I was just thinking of was when um Alonzo is deciding not to come back to Alpine, again, making me feel bad for Otmar when it was showing at at that race weekend how Otmar was kind of walking around with Alonzo. It caught some audio from far away of Alonzo basically saying, yeah, I'm just I'm just looking at the contract, it, making it sound like he was totally about to sign. So I think it really vindicated Otmar's side of the story. Yeah, agreed. For me, I already said the rehearsing French in his car, Otmar, that was incredible. <laughs> but one of my favorites, the one that killed me the most is it's like a very small, short thing, but the little kids with Christian and he's like kind of leaning down in the paddock and Aww. he's like, who's your favorite driver? And they're like, Lewis Hamilton. And he's like, does anyone like Max or Checo? <laughs> it's like little kids. It was really cute. Um, very small scene, but you know. You know why I love that. <laughs> that transitions well into MVP. For me, I think my MVP is Christian because Oh no. <laughs> no, just well, just wait. Like, love him or hate him. I think he really overdoes it sometimes. But I do think he puts this series on his back. Like, I do not think Drive to Survive would be the same without all of Christian's antics. And I do think he, like a lot of the principles, like Gunther to some extent, leans into the bit. But I think Christian just really he understands the assignment of what his role is here. And I think he delivers season after season. I would say I would flip that. I don't think he understands the assignment. I think he sets the assignment and he wow. like, is in Netflix is in his pocket. That's my thought. <laughs> I think I would have to say, I would have to fight back though. I think, I think if Netflix is in anyone's pocket, it's Gunther and I found it slightly annoying at points how much Gunther knows it. Like when everyone's joking to him, ha ha, our TV star. And he's like, hair flip. Yes. <laughs> the only thing that doesn't make it annoying is that he's like on a losing team. You know, it's like <laughs> he he can afford to be the star. We we need an underdog to fight for. Like no one hates Gunther because he's not out there like winning races. You know, I don't know. <laughs> so what was Christian's quote? The higher you climb, the sharper the sharper knives. Knives. Yeah, that was so good. <laughs> Um, my MVP was Gunther, obviously. Um, and I also side sidebar MVP, like Will Buxton, he gets so much coverage and it's just so obvious some of the things that he says, but like, you can't not have him there. We love it. To his credit, this season was so much better on the obvious front. He said like one major obvious thing about like, you want to start first to have 19 (laughs) other drivers behind you. But like, that was really the only super obvious thing that I caught this season. So good on you, Will. Um, mine was Gasly, kind of a little bit of a dark horse MVP, but like I said, wasn't a huge fan of him before for no real reason in particular, but this drive to survive really, really made me like him a lot more and want to root for him this season. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Anti-heroes. Mine's Toto. I mean, he, he might be both for me, but he was made for reality TV. I think he was like definitely leaning into it. Um, and I don't know how much of it was like pandering to the cameras or not, but 
there was moments where I was like a little bit annoyed. <laughs> I just felt bad for him. But yeah, I could see that. Uh, Christian, for me, definitely the anti-hero here. Enough said. I've already I've already stated my my case. <laughs> I think maybe kind of Alonzo, I guess, again, being my newfound Otmar fandom and Otmar defense, I feel like everyone who ruined Otmar's month during August gets my <laughs> anti-hero award. But I do love Alonzo just leaning into it. And he totally knows it and just doesn't care and is kind of giggling about it. I, I really like that. So I think he was definitely a kind of satisfying anti-hero in a sense again this is just me being sensitive about mick gunther was kind of an anti-hero towards mick sometimes <laughs> i get yeah. that he objectively causes millions of dollars of damage crashing the car but it's like can we i don't know yeah a, a rational I, defense of mick <laughs> that episode was so hard to watch but i like my takeaway from that was like it was really tough but it felt fair I know like Gunther definitely had some comments that maybe were less than pleasant, but it sadly felt fair given the, given the performance. But anyway, to round out, what are our ratings out of 10? For me, this is kind of a cop out, but I was like, I can't decide between a six or a seven. I'll go with a six and a half. I don't know. Drive to Survive, it's always so fun, but I really feel like they could have done a lot more. They missed a lot of the fun storylines. Like it felt, I think, I don't know, the whole conversation of like, you know, do we pander to new fans or to old fans definitely felt like it was airing a bit more on the like new and like very character heavy. So I'll give it a six and a half. I think I probably would go six. I don't know. Just I liked it again. Totally entertaining. Totally will always watch. I will watch season six the day it comes out. I'm sure. I just think, yeah, they missed a lot of storylines. I do wish they would focus more on the actual racing in the sense that there's so much drama that comes from the actual on-track action that I feel like the show doesn't really tap into. And I get the appeal of having recurring characters in the team principles, which did really like, but at the same time, I feel like that can be kind of to the exclusion of other figures who could be highlighted. Like for example, highlighting some of these women with senior roles on the team. So I almost hope that for future seasons, maybe they even take a slight step back from the level of emphasis on just the team principles. Interesting. For me, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. I don't think this season was as captivating, right, as the first season, but I guess that's the point. Like, no one's going to, like, pick up on season 5 without starting the first few seasons. I don't know. But overall, 7 out of 10, I would rewatch and definitely will be sticking around for next season. With that, hope everyone enjoyed this episode. For those of you that are going to come to our watch party on Sunday, we cannot wait to meet you. Everyone else will um, hopefully see you in the chat and we'll, we'll see you next week.